Hello, this is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host for ADHD Focus, and my guest today is Dr. Russell Ramsey, who is an associate professor of clinical psychology in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania. He is also co-founder and co-director of the Adult ADHD Treatment and Research Program there, which he co-founded with Dr. Anthony Rostain in March of 1999. Dr. Ramsey is a full-time clinician, a researcher, and author. He's written two books for adults with ADHD, and we'll be talking about those as we go along. Russ, welcome to the program. David, good to be here. Thank you. So a number of people, I'm sure, have heard the term or seen things about cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and it can be kind of confusing to figure out what it is and how it works. Can you give us some, some background on um, overall what's the premise of it and how does it relate to ADHD? Sure, yeah, so um, starting off with a little history and part of how I got involved in the Penn Adult ADHD program or I guess even starting it is I was already at Penn um, doing a postdoctoral fellowship in cognitive therapy at the Center for Cognitive Therapy, which was a clinic started by Dr. Aaron Beck, who is considered the father of cognitive therapy, who just as an interesting aside is in fact a psychiatrist. And cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, really had its roots in the late 50s, early 60s, I think were some of Dr. Beck's first papers. And as he will tell the story, he was a trained psychoanalyst, but as he was sitting with his patients and listening to what seemed to be bothering him, he'll sort of, with a glimmer in his eye, say he broke the, the Freudian mindset and started asking, well, what thoughts are going through your mind right now when he'd noticed their affect or emotion change in session? And he'd hear things like, oh, I thought you were going to be, you were going to be upset with me about what I just said. And he, he went with his checking in with his thoughts and he said, no, I was just listening or maybe I was listening intently and my, my facial expressions changed. So he started developing this theory that particularly with depression, a lot of depression might be tied in with these distorted or incorrect thoughts. Not delusional thoughts, but just how people would read into information, make assumptions, jump to conclusions. And that led to a lot of work and, and research. And over the years, um, cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy was found to be a very effective treatment for depression that there seemed to be this connection between distorted thoughts and depressed mood. And that by changing thoughts, you could thereby change behaviors, change emotional reactions, and help people progressively get out of depression. So over the years, after its successes in depression, it got modified to be a psychotherapy, a talk therapy for anxiety and a host of other issues, panic disorder, and even more recently, um, Dr. Beck, the last several years, he's been focused on looking at a cognitive behavioral therapy for schizophrenia, looking at the negative mm, symptoms wow. and how there can be some positive changes there and with suicidal thoughts, uh, hearkening back to his work on depression. So over the years, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy has become an evidence-supported treatment for many, many different psychiatric and emotional conditions. So... 
bringing it back to at least the Penn Adult ADHD program, and as we were talking before the podcast, um, other programs as well. You know, I think many of us, some of our colleagues, independently um, arrived at CBT for Adult ADHD. But when we were looking for how to help adults with ADHD actually make behavioral changes in their lives, it seemed like cognitive behavioral therapy would be a good starting point. That it tends to be a structured approach to psychotherapy. Not limiting, not a limiting structure, like you have to do it this way, but each session starts off with setting an agenda. What do we want to accomplish today? And at least in the early studies of cognitive therapy, and this is just due to the nature of funding for psychotherapy outcome research, there would be a time limit on the number of sessions, so roughly 12 Mm -hmm. to 20 sessions. Um, It's not in outpatient treatment, it's not mandated, but it's still thought of as a, at least a time-limited treatment. so there would be a session structure, uh, an agenda, you know, checking in, having therapeutic homework between sessions in order to generalize the gains between sessions. Um, and, you know, centrally looking at how you think about things and changing distorted thoughts. How it's been adapted for adult ADHD, the structure still seems to be a helpful component. That is, um, many people, with adults with ADHD who might have described past therapies that weren't as structured might describe I enjoyed what I talked about in session and I covered a lot of creative things but I'm still not making changes in my day-to-day life it just gives a a grounding point where you can go back to and say okay we're on this topic uh, but we started with this agenda item do we want to keep going with our original item or are we saying that we should switch here making informed choices and also being able to bring somebody back to session and having some specific behavioral objectives very often um, these will be many of the problem areas or if you will the executive functioning categories described by many if not most if not all adults with ADHD Mm -hmm. things such as time management organization and problem solving, um, inhibition, motivation, being able to get started on tasks, and, you know, the category that we all appreciate is a central facet of ADHD, but it's not anywhere in the official diagnostic criteria, managing emotions. Yeah, um, yeah, so, that's certainly you know, it, a huge it just one. Provides, it provides a nice template for the behavioral targets of treatment and focused on developing the actual skills, or as we were talking about a phrase we like at Penn a lot, is most people will know the strategies using a planner, breaking down large tasks into small steps, but it's actually implementing these strategies and steps in day-to-day life between sessions. So that's, I think, uh, one of the hallmarks of the CBT Mm -hmm. program, be it at Penn, Steve Saffron's program at Harvard, Mary Salantos, um, she's at NYU now, Alexandra Philipson and her approach in Germany, Margaret Weiss, anybody who's published, Susie Young in London. Um, it's about making a difference out in the real world, you know, having people use the coping strategies that will help them effectively manage ADHD. So that then the adult um, who's doing the CBT and the for ADHD would uh, identify something that's a problem, say, in time management. So do you start there, or is it, well, here's our 
flow of our 12 sessions and we're going to start that is does the program say we're going to start with time management and then we're going to go to here and here and then within the time management sphere a person would say well I have a problem uh, I'm always late for appointments and so you work on that one specific thing or is it uh, more generic well you know what there's two answers there the one is based on uh, the controlled research um, where I mentioned before there there's going to be session limits on the number of sessions there's also going to be um, the need for a manual that has specific modules to make sure you cover enough of everything mm -hmm. so for example and now and I'll also give the qualification that you know like Mary Sawanto has one that she published that was um, you know, validated by uh, randomized controlled trials and continues to be. Steve Safran's is from Harvard, the Mastering Your Adult ADHD program. Susie Young's out in London um, and Margaret Weiss's. These programs, they'll have, well, uh, Margaret Weiss's was a little different, but most of them will have a progression of session modules. So I know like Steve Safran's might start with an introductory session, then it'll go to um, daily planning using a planner. Mm -hmm. um, and and so you will spend a session on each area, even if it's not that problematic, just making sure somebody has all the skills and making uh -huh. sure everybody's getting like the same dose of the same CBT approach. Now, Steve Safran, Mary, and, oh, I was going to say Margaret Weiss's was a little different. She had it, what was called a problem-focused therapy where each session they would set up what is the target for this week so it would be more personalized. Now all of these when you talk with like Mary Solanto, Steve Safran, anybody they'll say when it's used in clinical practice of course this is where it gets personalized if you don't have the time limit that goes into a funded study then if somebody needs like two or three weeks to work on the planner you, you uh -huh, have that uh -huh. you have that leeway and ours similar to uh, Margaret Weiss's and her groups we'll say ours is a case conceptualization approach where we try to prioritize with the patient where, where's the best way for it where's the best place the best skill for us to start with that's uh -huh. going to get more more bang for the buck or it seems to be the priority um, and you know I would say being familiar with both the manualized approaches are more conceptualization based models most most approaches are going to weave through most of the areas, but you will get people who go, I'm never late for anything, but I procrastinate on things. So, you know, mm -hmm. in, in real world practice, um, things, even the, the session by session manuals, they're going to get personalized to a great, to, to very positive mm -hmm. effects, I think. What kinds of things, uh, or how would one with ADD, identify where their main problems are or I guess I mean it's one thing to say okay I'm late for meetings I uh, have overdrafts so uh, because I don't get my bills paid um, is that then something that the therapist would talk over so you can come up with these are the top ones you want to work on given the fact that people with ADD often don't see themselves and where their problems are very well. Right, right. Um, how do they identify what the, the top ones would be? Is there a, a structured approach you use to that? Well, I can speak to what we do at Penn because everybody who comes, like, so our 
you know, our approach, we have some research support for it, but we've, we were never able to do a randomized control trial, which is the gold standard. So sure. our, our, the data would be lower level data. But as part of our program, we do a, a very comprehensive initial evaluation. And part of it, we do look at the, the symptoms of ADHD, but we're also looking at executive functioning based checklists. So and and using both self and uh, self and observer reports whenever possible, so we can sort of get a profile of what areas are seem to be endorsed as more problematic, tied in with as you were just saying, what are examples in day to day life of recurring frustrations, arriving on time, losing things, procrastination, and so we can get a pre. And now we're not saying that or 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 anybody else's model is so refined that we can go oh this is a high time a high right. time management inhibition emotional management let's go to that chapter right, we can right. get a sense of tying those in with real world problems about where we can address the most important implementation skills for that person i know mary salanto's approach she she will, if you read her manual, her book, um, she will very elegantly describe which are the executive functions um, that are addressed in, the, in each session module, so you can get a breakdown there. And, and I would say, anecdotally, probably most problems are going to cut through a lot of different executive functioning area. So even you might start with procrastination or getting started on things, but there's going to be an emotional regulation piece to that, the impulsivity mm -hmm. to resist the urge to go to some other task as an escape. So really, you focus on one area. It's sort of like an entry point to cover a lot of what's a lot of the essential coping skills. So I think there's a lot of different ways to get at what's most important. What would you say is the time commitment in terms of certainly if you're doing it in a in-person uh, setting there's getting there the session getting home um, but then the the homework or the is that something to look at a little bit every day um, tracking different behaviors kind of thing yeah I mean it's and hopefully it is every day because ADHD is there every day. Um, now this doesn't mean that it's like 24/7, but it's it may be being mindful of. Um, there can be various tasks. It could be spending 10 minutes at the beginning of the day reviewing your plan for the day, and 10 minutes at the end of the day setting up your plan for the next day. Um, but even though the the focused time commitment there might be, we could say 20 minutes a day. Hopefully something that reviewing the planner, once you have it set up, occurs throughout the day, that you start reaping the benefits sure. of the investment that you make of those 20 minutes, then you reap it the rest of the day, which hopefully reinforces the use of a planner. Or it could be um, identifying um, what your escape behaviors are. When you set out to do one priority task, what do you gravitate to instead? And can you catch yourself procrastinating? You might still procrastinate, but how we frame it for people, once you can catch yourself doing it, even if you keep doing it, I could tell I was procrastinating as I was doing it, but I did it anyway, that's part of the change process where hopefully with some of the other skills and strategies, we can bring that back and be less likely to procrastinate in the first place. We can see it coming and plan for it 
again, with a host of other skills. Let's make sure you're not setting up some unrealistic expectation. I'm going to work on mm -hmm. taxes mm -hmm. for three hours straight, yeah. breaking down the tasks. All these things that everybody, I was telling you before the, uh, the show, the podcast, that most everybody who comes into us says something along the lines of, I know exactly what I need to do, but I just don't do it. So if you mm -hmm. tell them to use a planner or with procrastination, you need to start earlier, there's nothing, there's nothing brilliant in any of that. It's, it's the performance problem. It's the implementation problem. So our cute little phrase is when people will say, so what are you going to be able to do for me that anybody else hasn't been able to do? Our cute line is we think we're pretty good at helping people understand how they don't do things. Not just you procrastinated mm -hmm. again or it's ADHD. We can take a look at when you procrastinate, here are the thoughts going through your mind about a task. You awfulize how bad it's going to be and you assume it'll be pointless. What's your emotional reaction like? What's it like being in your skin? And there's usually some feeling of discomfort. And then what are your escape behaviors? How do you rationalize doing something else? Okay, I should be working on taxes. Tell you what, let me mow the lawn first. Then I'll be in the yes. mood to do taxes. Yeah. No, you, yeah. no, you won't. Nobody's ever in the mood to do homework. We may, and this is, this is what the executive functions are there for, we want the outcome. We know we'll be better off if we study, if we do taxes, but it's being in the moment, being able to make that pivot and stay on task long enough, yes. at least long enough to get started. So we hopefully we get engaged and say, okay, now that I'm studying, now that I'm working on taxes, I'm making some headway so I can, I can last for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever reason yeah. time is. Yeah, I think it's... Uh Thomas Brown talks about many people have the ignition problem yes, yes. in terms of getting started. And I find it's, it's very interesting in my practice where quite often people have the getting started problem and others, it's the finishing it up. They get started yeah. and then something else, oh, and then they get started and they've got six things started right. and not one of them is really gets uh, finished. Right. My I friend and colleague, Ari Tuckman, has a great line for mm -hmm. that. He said, it's unfortunate for ADHD, but 95% done doesn't round up to 100. It rounds down to zero. It's not done if you, if you don't yep. finish the job. And I always, yep. saw, I always thought that was a brilliant line. And the, the companion, I guess, uh, corollary would be, don't worry if it's only 90% perfect in your mind because it's probably going to be fine for right. the other person. You don't have to get it 100% right. perfect in order for it to be done. Right, good uh, enough. And, so and, that's, and, that's the difference. Like Ari's line is about completion, but then when it comes to completion, to say, you know what, done is done, and that, that is a good thing. That's, that's, mm -hmm. you know, we, we want to lower the bar to be able to achieve the task, um, and then usually we, we underestimate the positive feeling associated with getting things done. I think that you brought up uh, something to me. I hadn't heard the phrase escape behaviors. And I think the awareness, just having the awareness of being able to say, oh, that's what I did. That's one of my escape behaviors to just check that message on Facebook and whatever. Right. And I think that the temptation that's out there is all these things, notifications, and you have these messages, and those become too easily used escape behaviors to check yes, on that right. one more thing. And um, I think that's one of the things about the, the CBT model, not just our, you know, anybody who's working in that, is it gives a framework, a template. I think that's what's nice about the executive functions. There's other things going on other than the executive functions, but that's a nice way to understand 
you know, to see, from an assessment standpoint, it helps us see ADHD. It's not just how much attention is enough or not enough. You know, the disorganization, procrastination, impulsivity, we can start seeing that stuff. Um, and then as you start, that line I used um, about, you know, people knowing what they need to do, but they just don't uh -huh. do it. The model helps people understand how they don't do stuff. Then that gives a reference point for even when we invariably slip up and fall back into escape behaviors or whatever, rather than it being necessarily activating a self-criticism, you know, it's like uh -huh. the line in the, uh, you know, the, the early book, you mean I'm not stupid, lazy, or crazy, which is the attribution. It gives right. somebody a behavioral template. Oh, I fell into, I thought my, I psyched myself out of doing the task because I told myself these negative thoughts. I told myself I should go answer this text first, then I'd be in the mood. These are, we're making, we're making coping with ADHD behavioral, actionable. It's hard if we're lazy, stupid, crazy. It's hard yeah. changing that. It's easier to change behaviors if we go, okay, next time there's a way I can deal with my negative thought or I can maybe, if I can't, if I don't think I can do homework for an hour, maybe I can do it at least for 15 minutes to get something done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when, when I'm trying to explain in all of two and a half minutes as part of a longer visit what right. CBT is to people, I'd say, well, it's the difference between saying, oh, I can never do that, and, well, I'm willing to learn how to do it. Right. And there's an entirely much more hopeful mindset rather than saying, well, no, that's just not going to work. And right, right. If, you, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Um, right. And you know what, a companion to that, because every, uh, a, a misunderstanding about um, cognitive behavioral therapy, and maybe it comes from the early work with depression, where people who are depressed, and, and this is relevant for ADHD too, because there's a high comorbidity of depression and anxiety with ADHD. Uh-huh, sure. People tend to be overly negative, pessimistic, assuming things won't work out, assuming the negative. So a counterbalance to that might be a more reasonable assessment of, hey, this might be more likely than you think. But that doesn't mean that cognitive behavioral therapy is the power of positive thinking, because one example is gamblers are very positive thinkers, even yeah. though it, fly, it flies in the face of everything we know about probability and even sometimes folks with ADHD might be overly positive oh this will all work out somehow or I'll pull it off at the end or I'll pull an all-nighter and it'll be fine these might be very positive or optimistic thoughts but it might not be very adaptive in terms of even if somebody can pull an all-nighter and complete the task they're probably going to be wrecked in terms of their sleep and health cycle for the next two or three days right right um, so during the process of um, CBT I'm assuming that the session with an in-person therapist or group is, say, weekly. What does someone do on a day-to-day -day basis to track what's going on, how well they're doing with changing behaviors? Is there a, a format for that or a template for that? Well, there's no like single one because everybody's problem might be a little different. Um, but, yeah, it's usually trying on a day-to-day -day -day basis some sort of exercise and it might be more global, like um, try to catch yourself when you procrastinate from a task and see if you can stay on it for at least five minutes. Um, there may be something like uh, the example I used before, um, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, set up your plan for the next day and review it each morning where you can sort of check off 
what you did and use your planner or your activity chart to check off how many items did you get to out of your to-do list and, and let's take a look at it and understand how you were able to do things, you know, how you were able to get more things done than you anticipated you could. And also let's take a look at these things you weren't able to get to and not just, okay, these are failures. It's, is there a way we can understand? Did you set the bar too high on these things or were these defined well enough? Um, so, I mean, in terms of that's tracking sort of the homework behaviors, if you will. Uh -huh. um, and in terms of the outcome measures, to, to date, and we, we were included in this, um, many of you know, the studies would use some sort of ADHD symptom scale, like the Brown Attention Deficit Disorder Scale, the right. Connors Adult ADHD Rating Scale, just you know, just like DSM symptom, like the ADHD rating scale or things like that. And in thinking about it over the years, I really don't think, I mean, and, and these, these scales show improvements pretty much across the board with CBT. Um, but in thinking about it more, I actually think cognitive behavioral therapy for adult ADHD actually probably intervenes at the level of day-to-day -day or functional impairments. So mm -hmm. the things like the executive functions, the, the problem solving, the impulse control, the motivation, getting started on tasks, um, and the ripple effects of these for overall well-being. So, you know, I'd be interested in looking at, and we're, we're actually considering in our program, starting to use like a follow-up executive functioning measure as tracking how sessions are progressing. Uh, mm -hmm. Similar to like on, on the psychiatry side, they might use a list of the DSM symptoms as well as like tracking side effects and of the medications and the right. positive response as well. I know Russell um, Barkley has his an executive function rating scale um, right. with the premise that the, the measures used for executive functioning in a typical neuropsychological exam of digit span and how many numbers can you remember forward right, and backward right. really doesn't help you figure out how to remember to bring the milk home. Yeah, um, it doesn't map onto the day-to-day -day difficulties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, uh, I think, yeah, the, the getting a sense of how well are you actually getting things done, not whether you're sometimes or often procrastinating. Um, and that can also be something that you work out with a patient. Like some of the, you know, the, the times when somebody's had that eureka moment and recognizing that treatment and very often the combination of CBT and medications, but somebody will say, you know what, I realized I haven't locked my keys in the car for like six weeks where typically that mm -hmm. would happen like once every other week or I haven't, you know, I haven't been late to work. Mm -hmm. Or you know things, those real world things that really resonate on a gut level that they go, okay, I'm doing better. Not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but the, those are the the types of things. Or I haven't had to pay a late fee on a credit card, something like that. Mm -hmm. So there certainly seems to be good um, background, both in research and also experience. A number of different of um, slight variations on the the cognitive behavioral therapy approach to ADD. How would a person find a program or a therapist trained both in in uh, what I'd call strict technique uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and familiarity with ADHD. It, it, we were talking about that before too. It, the combination is tough because um, still in graduate practice and medical or graduate um, education and medical education. 
ADHD is not, and especially adult ADHD, is not part of the standards curriculum. Um, so whereas mm -hmm. treatments for depression and anxiety, that's like, at least in psychology training, my experience has been, that's like learning to treat the common cold and not being disrespectful right. of the how nope. grave each of these disorders can be. But it's sort of like you're trained to look for, and even if it's not, you're specially assessed for and refer out for. Um, so... One thing that's in action, I, um, the APSARD, the American Professional Society of ADHD-Related uh -huh. Disorders, is trying to put together um, a list of programs around the country, specialty programs in ADHD that offer treatment and maybe even training opportunities that will eventually be made available on the website. Um, so that way we have a very specialized list of people looking for you know, a center near them, or at least maybe in the geographical region where it becomes uh -huh. like a six degree of separation. Um, somebody may not be within driving distance of our program in Philadelphia, but we might be able to provide a referral for somebody within a certain radius. That Sure. And, and you know what it's like. The reality is sometimes we just don't know of somebody in a certain area. Um, as it is now, in terms of finding somebody specializing in CBT and you can look within their profile, to see if they have a specialty in ADHD. Um, in addition to any state psychological um, listing of psychologists, say, or some other mental health professional, there is the Academy of Cognitive Therapy, huh. as well as the Association of Behavioral and Cognitive Psychotherapy, ABCT. Um, and both of them have find a therapist where you can go by states, by area code, by country. Oh, great and look in there. Now you might, that's just for trained in CBT. It doesn't necessarily guarantee a specialty or competency in ADHD. Sure. In terms of ADHD, apart from APSARD, you know, my go-tos are still CHAD um, and the Attention Deficit Disorder Association, ADA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing I've found particularly helpful when I'm trying to come up with uh, a therapist maybe in a town 40 miles north, and I don't know the, the general community, is uh, Psychology Today actually has an excellent directory that one can sort by gender, age of therapist, training, specialty interest, all kinds of things. Right. So I found um, can get at least started on the, the direction of uh, right, right. filtering things out. And just being mindful in some of these larger directories, if some some people might just endorse every single problem area, understandably trying to get referrals. So, you know, if you're seeing somebody yeah. that just seems to have an an inhumanly possible number of specialties, um, yeah, look into it. ADHD might be one of them, but you know, just being mindful, you know, buyer beware, as it were. Absolutely. Well, Russ, it's been great to talk with you about cognitive behavioral therapy and ADHD. I think it's something that is getting more and more experience and some real value for people in terms of, as you say, the, the how-to, the tactics of how to make happen what we know we would like to happen. My guest today has been Dr. Russell Ramsey, who is the co-director and co-founder of the Penn Adult ADHD Treatment and Research Program in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has two books written for adults with ADHD, the Adult ADHD Toolkit, using CBT to facilitate coping inside and out, and also non-medication treatments for adult ADHD. 
Those are available on Amazon, which I checked out before the show. Um, he also has two other books written for professionals, helping those with ADHD, and I hope some of you professionals in the helping ADHD category will look into those. Russ, thank you so much. Great to have you here. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, and listeners, be well. Talk to you soon.